interesting dialogue I want to have with you guys this morning, and it's one that is sort of the culmination, if you will, of multiple months of summer teaching. And so today we are continuing. If you've been with us here for a while, you know that we've been doing this series in Philippians, and we are sort of coming around third base on this, meaning where the, the finish is in sight. But this last section that we're studying is actually a very critical one. It's, it's important because there's this umbrella idea of living in God's good soil that we've derived from it. And so I want to take just a couple of minutes here to recap where we have been in order to give us a sort of firm footing for where we're going to go. Over these past months, we've been looking at two very important themes in the Christian life. The first addresses how to follow Jesus in such a way that we can experience the dynamic nature of the Christian life. The whole premise of the book of Philippians, and as we sang this morning in, in, in very different ways, knowing Jesus means that we are given this incredible opportunity to live in his joy. In other words, a life that is deeply rooted in the gospel of truth, a life that really knows Jesus with head, loves Jesus with heart, and serves him with hands, begins to change the way we live. And one of the greatest benefits of this is a confidence in Christ in this way helps us to have an, in, an inner joy, an unassailable joy, that actually cannot be compromised by anything that goes on in our lives. And so if you need to know the main point of Philippians, much like the main point of the gospel, it is that Jesus loves you, and he desires for you to live a life that is abundant because he gives you the ability to do so in him. That's been the main thing we've been talking about. That's really where we're going to root this morning. Secondly, uh, we are going to look at this theme. This is sort of a premonition that talks about what it means to live in the, in the good soil in such a way that we, we permanently are in Jesus' joy. I don't mean permanently like from the angle that you never have struggles or trials, but I mean one of the realities of how we live this out, how we experience this, is by learning to, to, to dwell in the goodness and the grace of God, the promises of God. And so there's been these two sides of the coin. One is how we, how we have joy, how we experience it. The second side of Philippians, the close anyways, is going to be rooted in us maintaining that joy, recognizing God's role in our lives and our role in that. And so over these past weeks, we've taken this detailed look and what it means to apply the rhythm Paul commands us to embrace in our lives in Philippians 3.17. In that verse, which was read a moment ago, Paul tells us to look at him, to look to him, to look to others, as an example to follow Jesus. Now we've used this truth as a springboard to look at other teachings in the Bible that deal with this critical issue. Mainly the parable of the sower. This is a parable that Jesus gave us. And it was there that we learned the main way a person can live in God's good soil. That was the whole premise of the parable. Is how do we get to this place in our lives where we're firmly rooted in the goodness of God in a way that changes the way we live our lives. It was there we learned that the way we do this is by making it a priority to listen to, to live out the truth of Jesus' scripture in a church family. And we approach this. In other words, we desire to know Jesus' gospel. We desire to grow in Jesus through community, the people of God, meaningful community. And we desire to serve Jesus and his mission with our hands. We do this in the context of a church family with an open heart and a pure mind. That simply means we don't just read something in scripture and think that, especially if it challenges us at the core of who we are, we don't just read this and then say, oh, that's easy. I'm good with it. Sometimes it's like that, but a lot of times it isn't like that. So the posture of our heart as we approach truth in God's world is that we have to approach his truth with an open mind and a pure heart. We've got to come to him. You might remember the sermon from a few months ago because I know all of you listen to them all day long in your cars while you're driving around. You podcast me. The, the premise of that sermon was that we have to go to God asking what he desires to teach us through his truth. We can't go to God saying, here's what I want to kind of superimpose on your truth. 
And so to give us a greater clarity in how to apply this in our lives, this parable and this idea of following Jesus well, we've broken it down into three life rhythms that we have been looking at over these past weeks. And in the past, especially if you've been with us at Restoration from the beginning, I mean like from 2010, we've labeled these, these categories, these rhythms, if you will, as studying God's word, socializing with other people in the body of Christ, having deep and meaningful relationships with other, with other Christians, and serving our neighbor when God provides that opportunity. That's the triad, if you will, of what makes a disciple a disciple. But earlier in the year, I really was burdened by God through some consult with friends that I had, some personal prayer time I had taken on my own to really bring a more pointed understanding of these three words to our body. In other words, I wanted a clearer understanding for us to to root into about how we practically apply these things. And so I want to share with you, I've been mentioning this, and I'll refresh the, the room this morning, that there's a synonymous but more pointed header or headers that I want to introduce when we talk about socializing, serving, and studying. And it really is rooted in a, in a more pure understanding of what those words mean, gospel, community, and mission. So if you've been with us for a while, or you are going to be with us for a while, it is just inevitable that your ears and your heart are going to intersect with what I'm going to share with you today. You have likely recognized that these are the core rhythms that make up a devoted follower of Jesus. They are our discipleship pathway. These are the rhythms we've been looking at in the past weeks, because if we want to live in God's good soil, if we want something much more than a marginal or a nominal faith in Jesus, if we want something much more meaningful than than seeing the risen Son of God is sort of a hobby in our lives, but more like the center of why we exist, the sun in which our lives orbit around. If we want to know Jesus like that and experience the, the rich promises connected with that, then we have to be living in these three rhythms. If you want a heart that is in good soil, this is where the soil is. And so next week, my family and I leave for our, our annual vacation. We take it this time every year. We'll split out of here this week and We'll go to the west coast of Florida. One of the benefits of living in a vacation state is that you can vacation relatively uh, cheaply and close. And so we're leaving here this week. And I wanted to leave you in a way that I could wrap this section of teaching up that sort of summarizes where we've been, but can easily be picked up upon my return. Because we're going to close the book on this the weeks that follow upon my return. Today, I want to take all the good soil truths we've studied over these past months. We've got about almost four months here and condense them into a summary teaching that you can meditate on over these next weeks in my absence. Because a life in the good soil doesn't just happen. It requires a deep dependence on the grace of God. It requires a, a personal discipline to live in a way that give God, gives God a fertile soil to plant his truth in in our lives. And Pastor Scott will be here for the next three weeks to kind of talk through some other ideas that he's going to share with you. But for our time together today, I really want to ask you to seek God over these next weeks in light of Ephesians 4.15, which is the second verse we've read. I want to speak three truths to you this morning. That was what we talked about last week, how speaking truth to each other is an incredibly important thing God sets us apart to do. He gives us the truth and then puts us in each other's lives so we can exhort each other into the truth. So we can bear each other's burdens and carry each other's loads and support each other through difficult times and celebrate with each other during meaningful times. Today, in the same vein, I want to exhort you, I want to remind you, if you will, in question form, of three must-have rhythms of what it means to live in God's good soil. So let's jump right in. Scripture teaches us there are three truth rhythms that we must dance to if we want to live in God's good soil. And I used the word dance this morning... Um, some of you dance, some of you don't. 
you know, I'm, I'm sure that's for good and good reason, you know. Uh, some of you maybe are really uh, acclimated to dancing and enjoy it. Maybe some of you will break your ankles if you attempt to do it. I don't know. But dancing and this concept of rhythm is something that is one that is, it's in the Bible. And I simply want to give you the backdrop of why I think this is an important uh, kind of metaphor to frame where we're going to go this morning. When you see good dancing, it actually, there's tons of technique that is in, involved in that. Training and, and repetition and knowing what to do and where to go. Uh, if you've ever played a, a sport, this is the same type of idea. There's all of this sort of mechanical stuff that is required to hit a baseball or to throw a football or to see a beautifully orchestrated dance. But when you are watching a dance or a great athlete, you never see the mechanics. You're not saying like step one, step two, step three, or man, that guy's got a good posture in the way he swings about. You don't look at it that way. You just marvel at the rhythm. You marvel at the dance. You enjoy the beauty of the dance. Or in the athletic world, you, you enjoy the, the rhythm of what it means to see a good sport. If you think of these rhythms like this, not just something you have to do, although they are something we have to do, but if you understand that these are sort of rhythms that we sway to in our pursuit of Jesus, then what happens is, at some point in our heart, especially if you don't have these rhythms in your life, they're going to stop looking like mechanical things you have to do in the Christian life. And they're going to start becoming things that you say, man, I've seen people dance like this, and something is different about this. Something is, is meaningful and purposeful there. I want to dance like that. That's why I say these are rhythms. When we talk about dancing to the tune of the gospel, dancing with each other in community, and dancing to the rhythm of what it means to recognize God has set you apart for his mission and his purposes in this world, that is something powerful and meaningful. So we will talk through mechanics this morning to a certain degree, but I don't want you to leave here disconnecting the mechanic, the dew point, from the beauty of the dance, because you'll never want to dance more with Jesus unless you understand the beauty of the mechanic the beauty of, of the steps that create a life that is truly robust in who Christ is and how Christ wants to live in us. And so rhythm one, to live in God's good soil, if you really want to dance with Jesus, you must ask yourself, do you know and are you growing in God's gospel of grace? Simply put, we have to ask ourselves if we are the type of people who really believe it is our highest priority in life to learn with our head, value with our heart, and live out with our hands the truths of Jesus. The interesting thing about the head, the heart, and the hand is that God has created all of us to use all three of those for his glory. What's interesting about this is that each one of us very likely has a, a default mode, if you will, that we, we, a learning mode in this, this cat, these categories that we learn better in, meaning some of you might be more cognitive in the way you understand God. You might be more head-oriented. Some of you might be more motive in the sense that you, you feel like, no pun intended, you learn from God or grow in God by what you feel. And others of us, this is especially true in a church plant like ours, you know, we're not here without people who value the hand side of, what, of, of the Christian world, of the church. I mean, lots of people, as you know, get up very early to be here on Sunday to make this time happen. And so when we talk about head, heart, and hands, what I want to say here is each one of us has been created to function before God with these three things in our lives. But you have to know that if you, if you recognize this at times, we can actually get a little imbalance in these areas. It's very easy if we are oriented towards the cognitive to maybe only pursue God with our head at the expense of the heart and the hands. That creates oftentimes a cold or um, an academic faith. And I'm not saying that it's bad to have a 
to have, frankly, uh, to place a high value on the rich depth of the Christian faith. There is something truly deep. It'll bend your mind in ways you couldn't even fathom unless you've started recognizing and experiencing who God is. There is something deeply cognitive about the Christian faith. But if it's just that at the expense of the heart, we have a problem. Or if it's just the heart where we simply only interpret God through emotion, but we don't actually wrestle with who, his truth in our head, or we really know Jesus' truth in our head with our hearts, but it never compels us to serve him with our hands. This is out of sorts. And so what we strive for under heaven, that means in imperfect and broken ways, what we strive for is to value Jesus' truth with our head, our hearts, and our hands. We think about this stuff. We emote this stuff. We feel this stuff. And then we live in light of this stuff. This is sort of what we talked about last week. We really focused on truth last week. And it is really important for you and I to be able to answer this question honestly and on a regular basis. Because we have been and will continue to hear many gospel truths about who Jesus is in this room, when you guys move into your community groups throughout the week, when you talk to other Christians in our community, you are going to constantly be faced with truth or with people what people propose is truth. Last week, I said every week I get up here and I say this stuff is true. How do you know this stuff is true? Well, I encourage you to sort it out through Scripture with other people who love Jesus. I never want to mislead you. It's never my desire. And I work really hard to accurately represent God through my words each week. But I want you to, to experience truth, not just from what I say, but through the other six and a half days of the week when God really wants to work in your life. He wants to continue to work in your lives. Truth is not limited to this room. It's meant to define your life when you leave it. Now, if we're not embracing these truths in our hearts, living them out in our lives, it can be a very different story for some people. Their lives start to look different. They start to, in the name of Jesus, look like something that maybe isn't like Jesus. And so this question is designed to get you thinking about whether or not God's truth is something you really do desire to know, grow in, and live your life by. Being able to answer this with a yes, or being able to identify that maybe this isn't a priority in your life, it is critical for all of us. It's critical for our life and faith in Jesus because it is the main way we bury ourselves deeply in God's good soil. You don't get into God's good soil without his truth. And so let me take this a spiritual step further. Think about this. The reason this dancing rhythm is important in your life and in mine is because the scripture teaches us you can't really know Jesus' gospel without knowing his word. We can't dance to the tune of God if we don't know his words. Why is this a reality? Maybe you're saying... Again, this guy is saying this is true, but I don't necessarily affirm it or I'm confused by it. Or why is this true? I'll tell you why. Scripture teaches us something very important about this. The Bible literally teaches us that Jesus is the word. That is one of his descriptions. One of the ways that God communicates to us who Jesus is, is by calling him the word. And the word is, I'll spare you the Greek here, but the word is simply a synonym for the truth. Like Jesus is the truth. He is the answer. If you grew up in a Baptist church, you've probably heard this a million times. Jesus is the answer. He's the reason for the season. We've got all these like cliched statements that affirm this. But the bottom line is this is because there's a super rich reality scripture communicates to us. He is the word. He is the truth. He is the reason. He is the, the answer. So to truly know Jesus means you have to truly know his word because he is the word. He is the truth. In scripture, we learn on ev everywhere that Jesus is all truth. And the gospel of John really drives this home. And that the scripture was given to us so that we could know the truth of what matters most in life. A lot of people look at the Bible and its truths as some kind of a shackle. But that is not what the truth in the scripture is meant to do to us. It is meant to remove the shackle of life. Or the shackles, plural, for those of us struggling with a lot of stuff. 
It is that truth that ultimately sets us free and leads us to everlasting hope, peace, and joy. And so when we build our lives on the foundation of anything less than knowing Jesus through his word, what happens is at best is it creates an incomplete understanding of what it means to be in the good soil. We might, we might start to embrace soil rhythms, dancing rhythms that are actually not the good soil. And at worst, it might totally disconnect us from the dance and the soil. We can marvel at the beauty or what I find is very common with folks who don't value what I'm saying here is that they can no longer recognize the beauty of the dance. They can't see it anymore. They just have learned to value a different rhythm in their life. And the reality of that is that Christ has sort of fallen by the wayside. And so if you really want to be in God's good soil, the primary way, not the only way, the primary way this happens is by learning to hear the voice of Jesus through his word, by applying the truth of Jesus to your heart and living out his truth with your hands. Now, I've said this before, but I want to reiterate it this morning that what is sad about this reality I'm trying to communicate to you is that we live in an era where we really do have this unbridled freedom and access to be in God's word. I've joked about it in here before. I'm talking to you about it now. It's behind me on the screen. Some of you have paper Bibles. Some of you have iPhones or whatever your you know, device is. You can, anywhere you go, you can find the Bible right now. And you can even with the, whole, the Bible app, which is what I use, I mean, it will read the Bible to you. It's like having a mini-me in your home each week. You can just sit there in your shower, and your phone will literally read Scripture to you. We have this unbridled access to this, yet it is so increasingly common to see people take, not, not take advantage of that blessing. It's very common today to hear people say, and I'm speaking about us now in the camp. I'm not saying this is necessarily you, but I'm saying this is a spirit of the age where people say they love Jesus, but they don't necessarily love listening to his voice about their life in the scripture. And I want you to sort of hear this from the angle of how God hears this statement. When God hears that, like, I love Jesus, or I'm pursuing Jesus, or I'm a Christian, but there's no precedent in our life to pursue truth, to pursue the word, God hears that in a very certain way. What he hears is, you don't value my son, who gave his life for you, he is the word become flesh. He is the truth become flesh. To love Jesus without his truth is sort of a, it's not sort of, it is an inconsistency from the perspective of God. And proving this point is a study I shared with you about a year and a half ago. I want to reread it to you. Um, it was a study in 2010. This was very pressing information for me because this is, although I've been pastoring for 20 years, just about, this is the year we launched restoration. And it was clear to me that the tide was changing and the way our country, our culture, and even our world understands the value of Jesus' truth. In 2010, the Barna Agency, which I quote on occasion in here, as well as multiple other sources, they released what then was sort of a prophetic utterance, a shot across the bow. They said, here's where we see things going. I want to reread this to you right now because I would say pretty confidently this is no longer a shot across the bow. It's actually a concrete reality in our world today. And it is a reality we must be aware of and avoid in our own lives if we want to live in a good soil. It'll be behind me. The study pointed out that the most, some of the most significant challenges facing the modern Christian movement, in other words, how God is wanting to work in the world through us. And they did this by interviewing people who were professing Christians. And in that study, the number one issue they cited, there were several of them, but the number one issue that they cited was that the Christian church is becoming less theologically literate. And this is just a fancy way of saying people are not reading the scripture anymore. So when you think of literacy, you pick up a book and you can read it. What they're saying here is by, by theological literacy, they're saying people are no longer picking up the, the book, God's book. And what's happening is, is it's causing gross 
a gross misunderstanding about who God is. Now, we would say, hey, this sort of makes sense in the unbelieving world, but it doesn't make sense in the believing world. And this is who they write to. And they said this, what used to be basic, universally known truths about Christianity are now unknown mysteries to a large and growing share of Americans, especially young adults. For instance, uh, Barna Group studies in 2010 showed that while most people regard Easter as a religious holiday, only a minority of adults associate Easter with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, we're not like against the holiday of Easter. We, you know, sling eggs and have barbecue and we really throw a big Easter party. But sort of the foundation of why we do that is because of Jesus, right? But what they're saying here is that there's a great and growing many people who no longer see why we as Christians celebrate Easter. Other examples include uh, the finding that few adults believe that their faith is meant to be the focal point of their life or to be integrated into every aspect of their existence. That simply means three years ago, again, because I know you remember all my sermons, but I talked about the difference between Jesus being a slice of the pie of your life or kind of the pie crust that encapsulates your whole life. For a great many people, uh, Christianity is sort of a compartmentalized thing. We sort of do it here and then no place else. And this will be very important when we wrap up this morning, albeit briefly, with the idea of God setting us apart as his missionaries. Further, he says, a growing, or the study says, a growing majority believe the Holy Spirit is a symbol of God's presence or power, but not a living entity. That's an important problem, because when we understand who the Holy Spirit is and what he's done, like when Abe, who led worship this morning, says, you know, Spirit lead us, Spirit move in us, what happens here is some people don't know what that means. Now, that's okay to the degree that we want to grow, we want to shape each other as a body. There's always going to be people who don't know what this means. This is why Jesus calls us to be disciplers, to help other people know what this means. But this is not talking about that type of person. This is talking about the person who, who rubs shoulders with the things of God, but actually doesn't know the things of God. The Christian who pursues God, or at least claims relationship, but doesn't have any sort of substance underneath it. You can't live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. Until Jesus returns, his Holy Spirit is with us. It's sort of logical and theological to say, why is it that we see so many people struggling? They're just broken and wrecked by life, yet they proclaim the victory of Jesus. Well, maybe it's because they don't know what it means to experience the power of the Holy Spirit who bridges the gap. The truth matters. It shapes life. Makes us different. Makes us know Jesus' joy. And it goes on to say, as the two younger generations ascend to numerical and positional supremacy in churches across the nation. In other words, those of us, I'm not young anymore. I'm sort of like right in the middle. Uh, some of you are very young. Some of you, I won't say the other side are there. But the bottom line is no matter where we are at, God wants us to be nurturing and encouraging and discipling people. We, as God shapes his truth in us, our job, one of them, is to help others know that truth. Otherwise, what happens is if that starts to lead the church if sort of theologically illiterate people, people representing God but don't know him well or deeply, that starts to create a big problem. And they, he goes on to say in 2010, the study, the theological free-for-all that is encroaching in Protestant churches nationwide suggests the coming decade will be a time of unparalleled theological diversity and inconsistency. And when he says theological diversity, he's not talking about like the non-essential issues. Like there are, there are lots of them in the Bible, but there are some that are just not they, they are absolutely essential. And so you see this issue of us valuing and pursuing God's gospel of truth, dancing to this rhythm, it's important for us to grasp because it touches every area of life. How, you might ask? Well, the word, Jesus, unashamedly says he desires to speak into every area of our lives. When it comes to dancing to the tune of the gospel, we will either contribute to the problem, we'll either teach people to stumble in the dance, or, you know, by practicing a wordless, truthless faith, or we'll be a part of the solution. 
by committing our hearts to cultivate our relationship with Jesus in the scripture and helping others to do the same. And please know when I say knowing the scripture and helping others, that's a journey we're all stumbling through. We, there are things we are very strong in Jesus in and things we're not. The, the prerequisite for this is not that you can quote Genesis to Revelation with perfection. It's that you really have a vibrancy in your relationship with Jesus Christ and you desire to know his truth. Those are the types of people God uses. You desire to know the truth. And what you're going to find is that if that's truly the desire of your heart, at some point you're going to really know the truth. And God's going to use you to help others experience it. This is a pretty keen cultural analysis. And it shows us why there are so many people today who practice what the Apostle Paul would say are forms of Christianity that aren't Christianity. They have the shape of something Christian, but it's not rooted in Jesus' Christianity. It makes perfect sense. Think about this. The less you and I let God's truth shape life, our lives, the more we will allow something else to shape our lives. Something shapes us in life. None of us get away from that. And eventually, it, we will end up with a faith that has us following something that isn't Jesus in the name of Jesus if we miss Jesus' truth. So as you think about the marks of the good soil, the rhythms of the good soil, ask yourself right now, are you a learner? Are you a lover of God's gospel of truth? Head, heart, and hands. Do you know Jesus died for you, but you don't really feel the reality of that? Or maybe you feel the reality of that, but you don't actually know why Jesus died for you and for me. Wherever you're at, ask yourself if in a consistent way you're dancing to the tune of the scripture. Because if you're not, the parable that Jesus gave us and Paul's teachings here, speaking truth to each other, says that the greats of the scripture and our God in heaven are concerned about the life road we're on. But when I say concern, you have to know every, every question I ask you this morning, the first one, do you value Jesus' truth? If, even if we don't, this is a faith where God says he has grace. Admit that this morning to, to your Father in heaven and to somebody whom you love in this room or in a group this week. Let God's grace drive you to his truth. Know that this church and God in heaven we empathize with that and we want to help you get in the truth. We don't want you to leave here in shame because you're not. And if you are in the truth, no, God's put you in a unique platform to shape another life. Take that seriously. And this sort of naturally leads me, to, leads me to rhythm number two. We need to know and dance to the tune of Jesus' gospel. Rhythm number two, though, says to live in God's good soil, you must ask yourself, are you growing in your love for God's church family? Listen, guys, you can't love truth disconnected from other people. When you love truth, like when you know I matter to Jesus. At some point, other people will start to matter to you. It has to happen that way. That is the natural equation. I matter to God. I'm valued by Jesus. Other people start to matter and value, or they, they, there's a value on them, or that you prescribe to them that maybe you once didn't feel before because you now are living out of the overflow of a truth God has written in your heart. And so many Christians today in the modern Western church have embraced the popular form of, of solo Christianity. I won't spend a lot of time on this idea because I've mentioned it in years past, but the mature Christian, the person deeply pursuing Jesus, attempting to, is a person who dances to the tune of learning and living in God's truth with other people. We don't just say it's me and Jesus in my hole, my prayer closet. You know, there is a prayer closet idea in scripture, but that's not the only closet we get. We also get a big room. We get, we get a larger body of Jesus, and we get, in our church, the, weir, real, the real way we flesh this out is through the community group. That's not saying you can't have good community outside of a community group. It's just saying you won't ever have the level of community we talk about here disconnected from a group because those groups are really like mini families. It's amazing seeing what happens in those groups. It's beautiful, frankly. And so think about this. When we talk about this, God is nowhere in Scripture will we find a teaching to the contrary. God has created a people. Old Testament for himself. He set apart the, the Israelites. And then he forged a new family in the New Testament called the church. 
us in this room locally and those past, present, and future who have, are, and will of Jesus. We are like one mini family here connected to a much bigger family. And one day we will all be together with Christ in heaven, the big family of God, celebrating the reality of what it means to be with Jesus and each other forever. The reason this is so important, the reason why you have to dance to this rhythm is in large part because God himself values and practices this rhythm in his own life. I want you to think about this. The great, some of the great teachings of the Christian faith, some of those non-essentials I just mentioned a minute ago, are that we believe in God the Father, Jesus the Son, and His Holy Spirit. The three are one and the one are three. They have never, ever been apart from each other. They have never not been in each other's presence. Even Jesus on the cross, He experiences then the wrath of God. That is a form of relationship, you might say, with God. Not the one God wants us to live in. But nonetheless, when you hear Jesus' anguish on the cross, I think it's pretty fair to say it wasn't the nails that bereaved him. It was the fact that for this moment, he has this clouded space in life where he, because of our sin, is now, there's this cosmic disconnect between him and the Father. The wrath of God is poured out on Jesus so that it is not poured out on us. The Spirit, Jesus' Spirit, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Father are never without each other. They are always in community with each other. And we are called as Christians to pattern that type of community after God with each other. Clearly evidenced in the way Jesus lived in his life. He is constantly referring to his Father in heaven. And when he leaves, oh you folks who have read Acts, who does he leave us with? The Holy Spirit. Right? Jesus goes and leaves us his Spirit. And in the same way that they are never disconnected from each other, to be in Jesus means we are never disconnected from him. And because we are never disconnected from him, functionally it means we should never be disconnected from each other. And we can live in a way that disconnects each other, but this is not what God desires for us. I'll take this a step further. Look at the way Jesus values truth and shares it with others. Jesus has these men called the disciples and a slew of women that begin following him in the first century world. doesn't matter where you're coming from, what your, your, uh, your genetic background is, what your ethnic background is, what your geographic or gender background is. doesn't matter. Jesus starts calling all people to him. And he sets apart these common groups of people. And he spends all this time sharing God's truth with them. And then he doesn't say, I'll see you in heaven. What he actually says is, hey, tomorrow we'll get together again and talk about the truth. He literally is teaching truth and living truth out with them. He places so much value on staying with them and working in their lives that it's, it's, in, it's an indisputable reality. It's the essence of discipleship. Taking this a step further, he then binds those people to each other. It is that early movement of Christianity, couple of, you know, 12 people at first and a couple of hundred before it moves into the book of Acts that then moves into the Christianity we see in the world today. He binds us together with this form of community. So if you need to think of Christianity... Think of it like this. Christianity is, a, it is truly a team sport. It's, it's a sport where we are required to depend on other people all the time. We depend on Jesus. We depend on our Father in heaven. We are indwelled by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if we're going to be honest and humble, even those of us who have our stuff together and who live strong, fruitful, productive lives, we don't go it alone on this earth without needing other people. And we also don't escape the reality. We might deny it. But we can't escape the reality that other people need us at times. The reason God's gospel truth is meant to be lived out amongst the church family, amongst the community of God, is because all truth in the Bible is indisputably connected to relationship. It doesn't end anywhere else. The end game of all of God's truth is always about true relationships. It's what we named our church after. 
the restorative relationship between us and God? Do we recognize God the Father and the, the, the fellowship we can have with him because of Jesus? Relationship? And do we now recognize what it means to be restored to each other? Are we pressing in the same redemptive rhythm Jesus shows us by spilling his blood? We're called to labor for that same type of peace and love amongst each other in the family of God. We're meant to be a family that dances in such a way that, that it is beautiful to people and they are attracted to it. And I can tell you this is the greatest strength of our church. It really is. We have tons of strengths and no shortages of weaknesses. But the thing that I think of when I think of this church is this right here. I wish I could, I had the time to share with you what took place in my life. This week, somebody came to my house and changed my brakes yesterday morning in my garage. I have I shot guns with some of our guys Friday night and ate hamburgers. The day before that, I was with we had this amazing supper with our worship team. We get together and we just basically talked about worship in the church. That was just three days of the last week. And all of this is revolving around God's goodness and giving us each other. And I'm not the only person with this story. We are meant to dance with each other. It encourages and exhorts us, but also creates a, a rhythm, if you will, that other people are likely to inquire about. That's the number one way people connect to this church and stay in it, is they see people dancing. They don't even know they're dancing to the tune of the gospel. But they're like, hey man, can I cut in? And then the next thing you know, you invite them in and they're dancing to the gospel. You want to dance with me today? <laughs> I'm a break dance. All right. So let's just say, let me, let me say this here and then we'll move on. One practical explanation of why this is a beautiful rhythm in our life. The way we grow in Jesus in part, the way we process truth is by being, being kind of honest about where we are and are not with Jesus. And so when you're in community with people, that bag analogy I used three weeks ago, God says, you know, we're all like a bunch of rocks that he puts in a bag and shakes together. And our community with each other helps us to, the rough edges, if you will, are smoothed as we grow and rub shoulders with each other. If you're a person, for example, who maybe struggles with selfishness, okay, that's an unhealthy rhythm in our life. What happens is when you're around the people of God, you will likely be challenged in the fact that there is selfishness in you, and you will likely be encouraged by the fact that you see other people or experience other people living selflessly for you. It rubs the rock on both sides. When you're in the bag, it changes things. Or for example, maybe you struggle with being patient with other people, same reality. You know if you've been in any meaningful relationship that there are times where impatient drives the day. Whether it's a marriage, a relationship with a child, a friend, a peer, a community group person, a congregant, a pastor. We have been, what I would say is, is really, we've never had any major issues. We haven't had any issues of disunity in this church by God's grace. However, and yeah, we want to pray that God continues to keep it that way. But this is because we believe in this value and we fight for it. But that doesn't mean that there aren't little tiffs or questions or confusions or whatever it is. The bottom line is relationships, part of what makes them a relationship is that at times there are frustrations and challenges. So if we really struggle with a lack of patience, it does us well to not lock ourselves in a private room where we're not challenged in this. It does us well to be in a place where people help us to pull that weed. And the number one way that we pull the weed or we see Jesus pull the weed is by being engaged with people who are patient with us. It's sort of contagious when that happens. Let me give you another one. Anxiety is perhaps the biggest thing I deal with in my pastorate. Meaning there have been times without question I've had anxiety challenges. But there, this is sort of like the zeitgeist of the day. You know, we, we now live in the hyper busy, always into doing something. And we shouldn't be surprised that people are really stressed. In America, this is the first year, the past two years, we're actually beginning to see a decrease in, in how long we live. They're basically saying, like, particularly amongst Caucasian women, it's like a year shorter than it was a few years ago. And this is 
kind of makes sense. All the stress, all the things that are going on. We're constantly on our phones. I use all these tools. I'm not like against them. I don't like live in a rock underneath the Dunlo under in a rock under the bridge. We are, we use these tools, but this stuff is driving us. And so if we live in a perpetual state of anxiety, boy, wouldn't it be wonderful to think that we could be around people who sense that and encourage us through it. And maybe those who have already crossed this bridge, they, they have, they're modeling what it means to trust in the Lord so that we don't have to be anxious. We're not given this, the spirit of fear. That's not a biblical truth. Timothy tells us this, right? Uh, uh, Paul tells us this in Timothy. We're not given a, spear, a spirit of fear or timidity. We're given this, this spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. And so when we rub shoulders with God's people, something changes. And the best thing that can change in that paradigm is us. Because you have to work through selfishness. You have to work through frustration. You have to be challenged in your anxiety. You are encouraged by those who are ahead of you. And you get to encourage those who are behind you. It's the way the family rubs shoulders. And this is exactly why Jesus places so much emphasis on living this truth out with each other. So as you think about the, the marks of the good soil, the rhythm of the gospel we're speaking about this morning, ask yourself right now, do you dance to the tune of the gospel with other people? With the people sitting next to you in this room, with the people in your group, whatever relationships you have amongst the family of God, ask yourself, are you sort of like, are you playing the wall by yourself, dancing with nobody? Or are you really the type of person meaningfully engaged with other folks? Because it is critical. It's critical, critical that we have this in our lives. We know truth and live it out with each other. The last thing I want to say, and I will be very brief here, rhythm number three I, is, is this, and I'm going to touch on this today and pick it up when I return. To live in God's good soil, you must ask yourself, do you live knowing God sees you as a missionary for his gospel? When you know the truth that Christ loves you, when you live amongst the love of the body of Christ, this has to happen. You have to recognize that in every way God has sent himself and he has sent other people so that you and I could know Christ. At some point, mission... Our desire to see others know the Jesus we love, that has to happen. Now, like I said, introduction today, addressed in full upon my return. But I want you, you're going to get enough today to pray about this this morning and in these weeks that follow. You know, one of the greatest evidences that a person is learning God's truth in a family is when they have a love for Jesus that, and their church that seeps into their natural spheres of influence. It's when a person learns to love Christ so much and they've learned to be loved by Christ that they don't compartmentalize their faith anymore. It starts to bleed over in everything they're doing. You, you, know, you no longer can see need in life without attempting to address it. You can't recognize hurt without attempting to address it. You see the difficulties that people have in life. And because you know God has been kind to you through your difficulties, you want them to experience God's kindness in their life. It changes things. The love of Jesus should create a desire in us to help others experience this. And so here's why seeing your life like God sees your life when it comes to mission is very important. Jesus came to the earth on our behalf so that we could experience the rich grace of the Father. So that we could be called sons and daughters of God. You want to know why restoration supports physical adoption? Why we fund it and give people emotional and spiritual support? Because we believe that, that it is the greatest example of the gospel on earth. One of them anyways. That in our marriages. My goodness, when we see families go rescue children without families... And they are now fully grafted sons and daughters in a family. This is what Jesus does for us spiritually. We are now called sons and daughters of God. And as disciples, we have to know that God bestows that title upon us so that we can invite others into the same relationship he first offered to us. And so simply put, when you are in the good soil, when you are dancing to the truth of Jesus, 
you will no longer believe you can disconnect your life from God's mission. You can't. Your feet are going to start dancing in that direction. Unfortunately, right, here's always the you know, protagonist, antagonist, if you read books. That's the pro. Here's the challenge that we often struggle with. A great many people do disconnect God's mission from the local church in their daily lives. And this is a truth issue. This isn't like the fix of this is go do mission. That's not going to work. The fix is go to truth and community and see God bring a desire for mission around, into your life. And the way they subtly do this is by, by training their heart to believe that God's mission is always someplace else, that it always rests in somebody that they don't know, that it's somebody else's job, that it happens someplace very far from where they currently exist. Maybe they're not skilled or gifted enough. In the past, this attitude has been most clearly expressed. I say this regularly, and I hear me through before you make a judgment. Most clearly expressed by people defining mission as something you do for a week in another country, you know, over the summer or in the fall. Now, don't hear me wrong. We're for all mission. All of it. When people go in the name of Jesus to do good things, we are behind it. However, if we only see mission as something we do a week, on a weekly basis, like once a week out of the year, uh, disconnecting it from our daily lives, that's a problem. And for some of us, we never get that far. I know, I know a great many Christians who have never even had this type of trip. So if we simply say you only do mission when you go someplace else, it starts to neuter the power of God's Holy Spirit amongst God's people to do mission right now in this very moment. It's an incredibly dangerous way to believe because it's rooted in a faulty mission theology that has totally demobilized the people of the church. Here's how. People who believe this way, they sort of believe like, you know, all the needs someplace else, uh, all the Christians are here and we send them to the places where the need is. And eventually what happens is we are all about wherever there is and whomever there includes, maybe from the outside of the circle looking in on it. We don't necessarily penetrate those circles. It's a dangerous belief because Jesus tells us the need for mission. Please hear me when I say this. The need for God's people to show Jesus to the world through their words and deeds, it exists in every area of the world. It exists right here in our city. It exists in our lives. It exists in this room right now. It exists in your street. Maybe for some of you, this is in your living room. You're with people you love who just don't know Christ yet. All of this says that there is a place. We are, we are really God's people. And we're meant to show the love of Jesus no matter where we go. That is what he wants us to do. And so if you think I'm off base here, here's how I'll close. Uh, this is a true story. When I was in seminary, I went to school in New Orleans, and I had I, some of you know my story, pretty, pretty radical conversion. I'm in my early 20s. I'm not at all thinking about this. This was not like on my to-do list for life. I was become a pastor. I was going this way, and God just really got me, got a hold of me and moved me in a, different, a completely different direction. Um, one of the benefits I had in the church that I became a Christian with in was that I got to do a lot of overseas mission. I mean, I got to see a lot of the world, and it was astounding, and it gave me this taste for it. I mean, I've been on most of the continents. I'm still waiting on Australia. i got to work that one out. But it's been really awesome getting around the world and doing God's work and seeing other people doing God's work in other countries. And what was funny was is when I would come home from these other countries, East Africa, I mean, like, I'm in the, in the bush with, like, Maasai warriors. I'd come home, and I would tell all my friends in school, some of them studying for ministry, I'd say, hey, you know what's great is I love doing this stuff, but every time I come back to the United States, I feel like God is calling me to this country. That was unheard of when I was in school 10 years ago. In fact, if I've ever shared this story with you personally, this is a true statement. My friends used to make fun of me. They used to say, oh, you don't want to, you just want to be called to America because you don't want to give up your cable in East Africa. That's what they'd say. And then I would say, that's ridiculous because satellites can go all over the world now. You know, I can get a satellite dish anywhere in the, in the African bush, you know. I, I had to like kind of dig into them and say, this is kind of a stupid stupid statement. It seems really inaccurate, but I couldn't articulate why it was inaccurate. 
And then I really began to study God's mission. And I really began to see that it was an inaccurate sentiment that sort of fueled a lot of what we're talking about now. People think at times maybe that mission, whatever it looks like, is more valid someplace else. But the, the parting truth I want to leave with you this morning is that mission is most valid in the sphere of influence God has put you in. Whether that is in another country, in this room, in your living room, in your workplace, wherever. Wherever God has put you, that is the most important mission field you will be on. You don't even have to leave to be on that kind of mission. And I honestly believe this is why God led my family to church planning. Led us to the city from a long ways away. And I always say this when we talk about community, our role to, with each other. I deeply believe God has led us to each other uh, from the very origin of this church and for the rest of our days. Those of you in this room, those of you, you know, we're in the peak of vacation season. We got people all over the country, some of them out of the country. We are the, the family of God here. And we have been brought to each other for this season to cherish the truth of Jesus Christ with each other for the sake of his mission. So as you think about these three rhythms this morning, God's good soil, his gospel, his community, and his mission, ask yourself, are you a person connected to Jesus and his church family so deeply that you feel somewhat compelled, somewhat it's somewhat uncontained that you want to share all of this with the people that God has put in your life who you sense are without that. And I mean share in honest, respectful ways, laboring on behalf of another person in the way Jesus has for you. Ask yourself, do you have a consistent desire to live as a missionary right here and right now? Because if you're not, Jesus says in his parable, he's concerned about that. We can't love the mission of God in our life, his act for us on behalf of us without showing it to others. Pray about this over these next weeks. Know that no matter where you approach God this morning, wherever you're coming from, maybe you're three for three or 0 for three, when you approach God and this church, I want you to know, we want to help you start dancing to the tunes of the gospel because God wants that. So know that when you go to God with areas you need to grow, he is going to show you grace and favor and help you grow. And the same is true with the people here. Pray to God now. But let us know in a connection card or share with somebody in your group this week what your struggles are. Get plugged in with somebody. As we move into response time, what is Jesus saying to you about how you see and value his gospel, community, and mission? And just as importantly, what will you do about it as you begin to live your life this week outside of this room?